Welcome to the OLAC podcast on teams working toward inclusive instructional practice. We're talking today with educators from Nile City Schools and Struthers City Schools, both in Northeast Ohio near Youngstown. From Nile City, their Superintendent Anne-Marie Thigpen, Middle School Assistant Principal Allison Martin, and Intermediate School Principal Chris Staff. And from Struthers City, their Superintendent Pete Perrone, Special Services Coordinator Amanda McNinch, and Elementary Principal Bethany Carlson. Also joining us today is Michelle Moore, Director of State Support Team 5, which serves these two Northeast Ohio districts. Let's start by hearing what some of the educators we're interviewing think inclusive instructional practice really is. Struthers City Schools incorporates a definition in its district belief statements, as Superintendent Perrone reports. Two of our seven belief statements that uh, really fit the philosophy inclusive practices are we believe that all students should have equal access to a high quality education with a rigorous curriculum, state of the art technology and facilities, and challenging instructional practices to prepare them for diverse career paths. Another goal that fits in with our belief of inclusive practices is we believe that the Struther City School District must encourage students to see themselves as capable and self-sufficient learners who can impact the world. Michelle Moore shares the definition of inclusive instructional practice that is part of the recent revision, also known as Reboot, of the Ohio Improvement Process. Instructional practices are essential for every child. They are so effective. In fact, they give each child rich and engaging opportunities to learn the foundational skills, academic content, reasoning skills, and social-emotional skills needed for life. Whether you call them evidence-based, research-based, or high leverage, these practices contribute to high levels of student engagement and learning. It's also up to the local leadership teams to adapt these practices to local context. The district leadership team, building leadership teams, and teacher-based teams all have important roles to play. The teacher-based teams, of course, are the closest to what actually happens with students but they can't do what they need to do without the help of the building and district level teams. Inclusive instructional practices advance the learning of all students, as Superintendent Thigpen describes. I think at the district level, Nile City Schools has had a transformation with regard to inclusive instructional practices. We started probably five years ago with fragmented teacher-based teams, not functioning building level teams, district leadership teams for compliance purposes. The support from SST5 and just the work that we've done with the early literacy pilot has moved our district in a direction of co-planning on a daily basis, teaching for all students. We have also seen the level of fidelity with all the instructional practices, close to 100%, especially at our primary and intermediate level. I'd also have to say that the conversations at the teacher-based teams, the building-level teams, and the district-level teams are truly looking around data and then making decisions based on the data that we see. The conversations are rich and truly embedded in what is best for children. Superintendent Thigpen also talks about how the district supports all educators' use of these practices. 
the support that we can offer for inclusive instructional practices is through resources, is through conversation about materials that we may need to purchase. Obviously, it's also with allowing flexible schedules, allowing time for teachers to be out of the classroom, providing substitute teachers for job-embedded professional development. We do, at our district level team, have representatives from each building level team, and the rich conversation continues at that level where we can hear the positives that are going on at their building level and also the concerns that they may have. State Support Team Director Moore talks about how SST's scaffold work to increase district educators' use of inclusive instructional practices. Inclusive instructional practices are an important aspect of the work of the state support teams. We really focus on the services that are provided to each and every learner every day. And one of the areas that we are focusing on is thinking through how we plan, deliver, and assess instruction using the collaborative structures. We know individually teachers work on behalf of all students, but the power is in the team. So the importance of the teacher-based teams working, planning, and delivering instruction to all learners is a critical piece of the work. From the perspective of the state support teams, a critical piece is for districts to really build that collective capacity across all levels of their system to address the needs of each and every learner. Through the lens of inclusive instructional practices, state support teams also coach districts in three areas. One, that all students have access to rigorous curriculum. Two, that it's aligned to grade level standards. And three, that we give students access to classrooms that are set in proportional representation of the student body and not tracked in receiving watered-down curriculum and lower levels of expectations. Niles Principal Chris Staff appreciates the level of the superintendent's engagement. She believes in her principals to go out and really make sure that's happening. So for this all to work, you need need a strong superintendent, and it has to believe in what, what we're doing, hands down. It's the only way it works. The biggest thing is, you know, you don't want to scratch the surface. You have to get in there. And you really have to know what your teachers are doing day in and day out. So that's important. Sometimes we hear that inclusive instructional practice is synonymous with teachers working together in TBTs. Michelle Moore shares the SST perspective. And what makes all of this possible is the implementation of an academic and behavioral multi-tiered system of supports. So teacher-based teams working, planning, and delivering instruction for all learners is critical. SST coaching includes the non-negotiable that adults are proactively co-planning to meet the instructional needs of every student. This is done through teacher-based teams and building leadership teams, helping to monitor and support the implementation of inclusive instructional practices. And certainly, let's not forget the role of district leadership team and the district central office staff in making these practices successful. Three educators two from Niles and one from Struthers, explained some of the TBT dynamics related to inclusive instructional practice. There was a concern recently um, in a third grade TBT. Immediately we contacted the internal facilitator building principal at the primary level and said, these are the concerns, how can we address them? So then we talked about it in the second grade TBT, and then we had a meeting second and third to talk about, you know, these standards, how they're being addressed. So that vertical alignment, that collective teacher efforts 
efficacy is happening across Niles City Schools. It's not just leadership. The teachers are saying, these are our concerns, how can we address them? And they have a voice in all this. The bottom line, they have a voice because they really want to do what's best for children, all children. So when we come to the table, we're talking about all learners and what are our expectations when we go out for the time period and to come back with that rich data and that adult implementation data to move our work forward. Rather than looking at something broad across all content areas, they are focusing on where they are in their instruction and monitoring that through exit slips, you know, quizzes, tests, whatever that teacher calls those pieces to bring it back to the table because really the relevance is where are those kids within that instruction and where are they headed? We were moving more towards progress monitoring. Sometimes we get away from that. We're not checking in. We check in at the end when it's already past the point and it's too late for our interventions to begin. So we're trying to get on that trend of checking in with the students more often and bringing that data back to the table in our teacher-based team meetings and using our evidence-based strategies that we have been working on the structure that gives us a foot in the door to lead for change and inclusivity is the DLT, BLT, TBT structure. It gives us designated time and teams to gather in and then to look at planning for the whole realm of children, no matter what category, what label, what home they come from, how we can be effective is a clear tunnel to achievement. There's lots of agreement then about the power of the team to work on inclusive instructional practice. Educators from Niles districts provide details about how this works for them. Comments begin with Superintendent Anne-Marie Thigpen, followed by middle school leaders Staff and Martin. Having those teams in place allows us to have that common vocabulary, look at similar student data, make decisions based on the data, and our conversations at those TBTs and the building level teams all focus on student data, what are we going to do with the data, and then how are we going to improve, what do we need to enhance, what do we need to pull off the table and decide that's not working out for us anymore. So it really has given us the focus to to be a professional learning community. If a school district is looking to bring their district, their teachers together, um, my suggestion would be to find a common initiative make that choice for them, start somewhere with an evidence-based strategy, because I think that in itself lends itself to the teachers all being on the same page and taking that wall down and making them comfortable with one another and collaborating with one another. I can remember it to the day when I saw a title teacher, a classroom teacher, and an intervention specialist all talking together, all collaborating together about how they were going to meet the needs of those students in their instruction. And that, in my history of being there, had not happened. Everyone was going through it together. They all felt they were all on the same page. And I think that in itself, when you bring them together, because let's be honest, we, you know, once we get into our classrooms, we're there and we're doing what we feel is best. But when we go through something all together and it's the expectation and everybody has that clear cut expectation and know what they need to do, I feel that in itself is going to kickstart your structured support and um, the initiatives in your building.
We just don't share those literacy benchmark and progress monitoring scores with ELA, English language arts teams. We are also sharing them across all content areas, uh, social studies, language arts, math, science. And just last year, you know, for example, I did have a science teacher come to me and say, Allison, I can't believe how close their literacy scores are to where they really are performing in the classroom. So with that said, you know, we do all of that work in our TBTs, but also it's transparent to the BLT. So within our BLT, we're looking at an overall, what are the strengths, weaknesses, what are the trends that we're seeing from our teacher-based team meetings? We have tailored our instructional round sheet and shared with the staff prior to let them know these are the look-fors, this is what we're doing, um, that we bring back to the table and share that adult implementation data. The OIP nests leadership all the way down to the classroom, and Niles and Struthers clearly work towards using those connections well. The point of it all is to improve instruction, what many people are calling adult implementation behavior. In other words, better teaching, more effective teaching. And for the OIP, what makes better teaching better is teaching that reaches every student equally well. For lots of reasons, many schools across the country have not done very well with this. Inclusive instructional practice, then, is about fairness at its root. The Struthers educators have things to say about equity in the classroom. A very diverse group came together to help write the strategic plan. Our goals and our mission are directly coming from not just the educational side, but our community. So when we talk about meeting the needs of all students, our community is well involved and passionate about the district. That was their voice, too. So we not only have, you know, our educational support for this change in practice, but also parental community-based support. And I think that's, that's vital because the parents are craving to see all kids grow. I've been in Struthers for about 20 years. So I have students who were removed from the classroom for over half the day who now work in phlebotomy labs, who work in um, a podiatry office, who work in jobs just like we'd be proud of any of our sons and daughters getting. And so if I can look at it through that vein and know that there was really no good reason for these students not to be learning with their peers, it's a little bit easier for me to explain. So by pushing for inclusion, even when it's uncomfortable and sometimes unsuccessful and sometimes difficult, by working through those issues in the elementary school or in the middle school, we're making the next step easier. And I think sharing those successes is really important to explain to the folks who are watching. So it seems, really, that attention to equity isn't just nice or fair, but that it's more importantly very useful. It gets things done. The Struthers educators explain how they understand this usefulness in their context. I think it's also important when you talk about an inclusive practices, and you know, a lot of times we'll focus on the academic, you know, how many kids were coming out of the elementary school because we had full resource, and then telling parents, well, we do inclusion for science and social studies. And it was, oh my God, from the parents of, you know, my, my child has never been with regular. So being with same age peers um, is also something that cannot be overlooked with inclusion. We had a set of students move in this year from another district and the parent was terrified because of the structure we had and expressed emotional concern that the child would not do well because this child needed to be in a resource room. That's where they were. What do you mean they're in a regular classroom? And this child is thriving because 
I'd say 75 to 80% of his day is with, in the regular classroom. His identified needs are serviced in a resource room, but he is with the general public, which allows him to grow. Having a positive attitude when you're working with inclusive instructional practices just can't be faked. You either believe in it or you don't. If you design to the edges, there's an entry point for everyone. Knowing that accepting approximations does not mean you have to fail that child in that class at that time. You have to take them one step forward each time. Michelle Moore adds more insight about what the inclusive and inclusive instructional practice means. Really, the question is, who are we including? To lots of people, the idea of inclusion still says special education. It's an idea from the 1980s, as some people began to realize that segregating kids with IEPs in special schools and special classes wasn't helping. Well, that's not the only sort of exclusion happening in schools, including Ohio's schools. The victims of exclusion are well-known, right? We're talking about traditionally marginalized kids, students whose first language isn't English, African-American students and Mexican-American students, and kids from other groups as well. When we talk about inclusive instructional practices, we're talking about teaching practices capable of and intended to engage every student. It's really about equity. We have to make an exceptional effort to include all students that schools have historically underserved. Importantly, it's the practices that are our focus. Instructional practices are things we can change, and we need to change how we teach, how we connect with our students, and how we connect what students are learning to the world around them. As Amanda suggested, ideas about social justice and fairness can help educators build the practices that kids and families in the schools and districts of the state of Ohio, in fact, the nation as a whole, desperately need. Granted, it takes hard work, it takes time, but it's essential. So, inclusive instructional practices are for all students and not just those with disabilities. It's the right thing to do, and it also turns out to be useful if we want more kids to learn more and better. And that means we can expect it to show up in test scores at the school and district level once we understand equity and put in the time and effort. Educators from Struthers reflect on this issue. If we could get inclusive instructional practices embedded where the classroom teacher is the leader of it, we'll better meet the needs of more students and maybe, I love the phrase, filling, putting the rungs of the ladder back in so the child can climb the ladder faster. If we're using these practices starting in the elementary, early on and the teacher is the ins inclusive instructional practice leader, maybe we'll meet the needs of more students, fill those rungs in, and less students will need to be on an IEP. And they'll feel more confident, they'll feel better about themselves, doing it for all of them at the level they're needed. And it does yeah. take the, the problem from being, well, these kids aren't motivated to, these kids need support. And teachers can do something to provide support. I would like the SST to continue to provide the inclusivity training that they're providing to general education teachers because those are the people who have the power to change what goes on for those kids all day long, for all kids all day long. Um, and as much as our intervention specialists do have to be held accountable to make an impact, it sure is easier when you have a teacher who is familiar with inclusive practices and what's okay to do to, in order to show what students can learn. Thoughts among the NILES educators turn on the idea of equal opportunity to learn and to a systemic approach to providing it. 
In the comments that follow, Superintendent Thigpen calls it an easy fix, and very impactful one. More than that, it's surely part of things that need doing in many places. The comments begin and end with the superintendent, with those of Ms. Martin in between. All students have the opportunity to learn. All students have access to the curriculum based on their grade level. And all students have the access to all teachers. That's equity. The Niles Middle School has addressed the equity component of that proportional representation of each learner within the classrooms. And after having the one year under our belt with embedding the keys to literacy and having our reading benchmarking of Dibbles and Acadians reading in place, we were able to start with the our co-teaching pause, our intervention specialist work alongside with the general education teacher. And not just those students that have special needs, but also making sure it is a mixed grouping. Um, it's not so unbalanced as it has been in the past where we do have all those learners within that classroom, so you can lend itself to the small grouping um, to differentiate that instruction. We also have started looking at the other ELA classrooms and noticed that since we got away from doing that and purposely putting students in specific classrooms, those other classrooms have also had more of a diverse population of learners. So again, we, um, my principal and I both hand-scheduled some of those students in those co-teaching pods. Our intervention specialists get together at the end of the year, discuss their students um, and the transition and where those students would work best. But then we made sure that we fed that classroom with above, on, and just some at-risk students. So we have that diverse population. Equity changed yeah. at Nile City schools when teachers began to understand how does my instruction look and how am I reaching all learners? And they started to question, mm -hmm. why are these classrooms the way they are? And once everybody started questioning, well, why is this? Or how is this? Or those kind of questions, we started collaborating together to make those changes based for our students and the outcomes that we needed to have for them to be successful. So the way we put classes together, you know, a few people saw that as a concern and some administrators saw that that became a problem and then you have to deal with at a building level. Truly a, an easy fix, but pretty impactful. Michelle Moore comments on the interplay of school level and classroom level features of inclusive instructional practice. So yes, teams at different levels focus on data, but the focus depends on the level. Teacher-based teams have a natural concern with specific teaching practices. What is the standard? What's the curriculum? And how are you going to get and keep students engaged? Is it working? How do we know? These are big issues and daily ones addressed by teacher-based teams. Now the building leadership team takes a keen interest in those issues too, but in a different way. The building leadership team focuses on what the school needs as a whole to support the school-wide use of effective, inclusive teaching practices. In the comments made by Struthers and Niles, we have illustrations of what these two different team-level perspectives on inclusive instructional practice look like on the ground. And they know, and we know, this stuff is difficult to accomplish. It takes commitment to the idea that the work of education is all about equity, 
We're not going to improve without that commitment. We've proven that very well with the status quo for decade after decade. Can we get test scores up? How? It seems clear that schools and classrooms need to reach the kids we haven't been reaching. And the way to do that is with changes to teaching and to the systems that organize teaching. Changes that amount to inclusive instructional practice. Without this work, without this care and intention, the system will continue to fail many kids, perhaps most kids. We can't have that. And it's obvious that the educators and communities in Niles and Struthers are building better systems. Central to the statewide system of support is the belief that all districts can do this work. And every district, regardless of its improvement status, has room for growth if our goal is to prepare each and every child for success. This podcast has a teen focus, but we also heard some stories about life in classrooms where inclusive instructional practices are in play. Educators from Struthers share some examples. We've had students who were mute in kindergarten that are now in third and fourth grade and they are talking. You would never know they were mute in kindergarten. And, and same thing with the students with autism. We have quite a few who have a lot of wraparound service in kindergarten and first grade and are 100% independent in fourth grade and walk to and fro wherever they want to go because they've grown because of their peers and the acceptance and the belief that they can do it. I have to compliment our teachers further because technology can often be a stumbling block to helping kids do their best. And we had some teachers who really understood the use of speech to text, who could get it up in a jiffy, teach the kids how to use it, and go on. We had a student who's identified with an intellectual disability who would not write, period, begin to use speech to text. She liked that. So she used speech to text for a couple of years along with that embedded writing strategy, that mnemonic of what I'm supposed to say. Um, But then she felt that she was a little too good for that. And so she started shunning that technology. I don't want to be the student who's going to speak everybody else's writing. That student is now in 10th grade and will use speech to text for longer assignments, but has maintained her ability to write paragraphs about many, many things um, that wouldn't have been possible without those two learning opportunities for our teachers. First, you got to learn about how kids can read and write. And second, you've got to be open to accepting the tools that will allow them to do their best. So that child is now in inclusion classes for the majority of her day at the high school and feels quite good about herself because teachers were willing to learn. At the last DLT, the high school was just giving stat after stat of how many students were four or five years behind reading level on benchmarking and Three or four of them had tested out. I would have been in a resource room. Three or four of the students over the last year and a half have now tested out. To me, I never imagined that I would walk through a high school building and see high school teachers benchmarking kids, having those small groups, flexible groups. So that was just a aha moment to me. I'm like, wow, we're, we're moving. Anecdotes and stories are a kind of evidence, and they only seem convincing because most of us empathize with a good story. But what more is there? Michelle Moore talks about what works and why, and how it could or should work. Does inclusive instructional practice work? The short answer is yes, and the long answer is that we have to make it work locally. The answer is yes because the Ohio Improvement Process asks districts, schools, and teachers to use evidence-based practices, practices for which there is evidence of positive impact. 
Of course, other factors influence whether a practice will be effective in a given school at a given time. Local context. Has the practice worked in a similar school setting with similar demographics? Need. Does it address the true need, the root cause? Fit. Is it aligned with district and state priorities? Resources. Is there enough time, money, and personnel to achieve fidelity? Capacity to implement. Is the staff qualified and is there an active buy-in process? All of these factors impact whether we can achieve what we hope to accomplish locally. SST Director Moore just explained the what and the working of what works. But what serious evidence is there, actually, of how well this sort of thing is working? Superintendent Thigpen has some evidence to offer, and after that, principal staff offers a reminder that what really works isn't actually a thing at all. Probably what we want to highlight the most is we have four years ago been a D for K-3 literacy on a report card, and the last two years we have maintained a C on a report card, and at our intermediate school, the K-3 literacy score was a B for the first time this year, so we're very excited about that. And at our primary school, it has maintained a C. So for our district, um, with just bringing literacy on to our target in the last four years, we are pleased with those results. People who understand how you change will understand <laughs> why we're happy with this. Here towards the end, we're pulling back and thinking a bit wider. A key OIP principle, reinforced through the work of the Ohio Leadership Advisory Council, is that leadership is a set of practices, not a positional title. Superintendent Barone and Struthers Elementary Principal Carlson have some thoughts about that. The collaborative team structures of the OIP process is important. You know, when we talk about a, a teacher leader or a member of the team or the principal or a director of school improvement or even if I'm at the meeting, we all have an equal voice. So it doesn't matter what your role is. When I speak, I'm speaking to the equality of a first-year teacher speaking. And that's important to get that across in our team meetings, that your position, your title, doesn't matter when you speak in our OIP process meetings. I think that speaks volumes of our district, too, with comes to OIP. We've had some second- and third-year teachers. When people have moved out of a grade and we had to identify a new teacher-based team leader, We've had some second and third year teachers step up and the veterans respect, hear, and collaborate with them. Everybody has a voice. So there's none of that. Well, they're new. They need to learn a little bit more. It is the team. It's a common voice. And it's, it, that just means that's the person coming to the meetings because they all had a voice. So I think it's the collaborative effort that the administrators model to the teachers and then the teachers uh, model to the students. At the middle school and when I was also at the elementary, you know, we were having leadership team meetings before the state came up that there was the idea of the OIP process. At our district leadership meetings, it's rare to see it's the administrators leading. Um, yeah, we might make the agenda just getting it all together so they can stay in their buildings. But during that meeting, the administrative team is leading it. So it's, it's inclusive with us instead of top down. It's just inclusive with us all having a voice, and that is an expectation from Mr. Perone. So it's evident that in our meetings that they are just as important, and they're leading their building, and they're leading the changes. Michelle Moore wraps up this consideration of teams working toward inclusive instructional practice. Collective efficacy is the heart of our work. It's what's most important about teams coming together. 
The delivery of services by SSTs is guided by a set of non-negotiables founded in a comprehensive system of working together. Since improvement is everyone's responsibility, it's important to have an aligned educational cascade where the state, region, district, school, classroom, and community are all working together collaboratively. Districts play a pivotal role in implementing the right strategies with fidelity to achieve sustainable improvement on behalf of all students. Based on district needs, SSTs provide integrated support in areas like literacy, school climate, special education, early learning, and career readiness. These are all tied together coherently using the Ohio Improvement Process. Ohio's Unified State System of Support intentionally uses a consistent set of tools and protocols so every district receives quality services regardless of zip code. The non-negotiables are meant to lead to improvement of all components of the educational system. Inclusive instructional practice is a work in progress. There's always more to learn about instruction and lots more to do to ensure equity. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your views and experience of using Teams to work on inclusive instructional practice. And thanks for listening.